Hi, everyone. Welcome to Women on the Rise podcast. I'm Stacey Tobman, founder and CEO of Rise Collaborative Workspace and Girls Dreaming Big. And I'm Micah Ross, therapist and relationship coach. As two entrepreneurs, we started this podcast because it's what we want to hear. Our goal is to really get to the heart of impressive and inspiring women in business and talk about deal-making, strategy, success, systems, and aha moments, spirituality, balance, creativity, personal growth, meaning, purpose. We're interested in the whole businesswoman. If you've ever wished you could sit down with those women you're inspired by, or maybe jealous of, and ask them how they did it, what it looks like, how it felt, if she ever wanted to quit, what made her cry, and what her number one secret is to managing all that's on her plate, stay tuned. We hope to help you rise more today. Hi, Stacey. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you this week? I, I'm doing well. Doing well. What's new with Rise Collaborative this week? I know. I feel like every day, every time we talk, I'm basically saying the same thing. We are still in lease negotiations. You know, just like buying a house, right? You, it's always this highs and lows experience. Kind of the same thing, but times 100. So I'm really hopeful oh. that um, we're going to make some progress soon and and continue on. Yeah, but just creating momentum and excitement in this whole fun Denver expansion. And what's been really great is our members are really excited. Our St. Louis members are really excited about it. And there's days, you know, with being a businesswoman, they're like, I can't do it. This isn't going to work. Yeah. yeah. And they've been really propping me up. And we even now have a marketing advisory board team. So members in oh. our community who just want to see this expand and be a part of the expansion team that are just donating their time and help to make sure we figure out how to scale and grow in a smart way. So I'm just so touched well, by our I, community. I need one of those. <laughs> I know, don't we all? Like, yes. I agree. Like marketing is such a animal of its of its own. There's so many pieces and layers feel, to it. So it's nice to bring together a brain trust of just incredibly talented women to help us figure this out. And who can speak to it from a client perspective. This is what it's meant for me. So it's been really sure. helpful. Right. You know, I I had a real epiphany when one day somebody a very savvy business person looked at me and said, what do you do for a living? And I said, I am a therapist. And she said, no, you're not. From here on out, you're a marketer first and you're a therapist second. And that's how your business will thrive. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> but I think that's a great lead-in. Yeah, it was a huge light bulb, and I also think it's a great lead-in to our guest today because she has a background that might surprise some people. Um, today on Women on the Rise, we have Los Angeles-based entrepreneur Vanessa Stopenmacher, who is the founder of a direct-to-consumer fine jewelry brand, Rye and Oro, which I'm I was talking to her before the podcast. I'm a little bit obsessed with. I'm already trying. I'm like, I feel like this jewelry brand was made for me. That's how I feel. <laughs> Ryan Oro is on a mission to expose the traditional ways of the jewelry industry. No more back and forth about the best possible deal. No more overseas manufacturing. No more sugar coating materials. What I especially love about Ryan Oro is their simple and modern designs and their pieces that you can wear every day um, because simple never goes out of style. So, But what's super interesting about Vanessa is that her education and training is in graphic design and communication arts. 
not in jewelry. Prior to Brian Oro, she had a small design studio where she developed company brands, logos, marketing materials, websites for startups and small companies. And so I've heard that in a roundabout way, this business started because Vanessa and her sister were commiserating about how their husbands were terrible gift givers, which a lot of us can relate to. Uh, I can relate to that. Um, so, Vanessa, what is that true? Yes, it's very true. <laughs> I love telling this story because it always just reminds me of this of time period that I went through, and, and never did I think that I would have a jewelry company. Um, but... Yeah, as you said, I, I started as a graphic designer and, um, you know, I was designing and developing logos and identities for other brands. And I realized during that process, what I was doing is really just kind of putting makeup on brands and people were coming to me to design their identity. And I was giving them a visual identity. And I say that in quotes, um, but really I wasn't giving them their identity. I was just putting makeup on their brand and, and realized that identity really has to come from the founders and, uh, you know, the people in the company themselves. And it's really kind of going back to your core and, and really asking those tough questions of what do we stand for? What are our values? So I had this urge to live through more of a life cycle of a brand uh, and a company. And my sister, who had just graduated from business school, and with my background in design, we, we were really inspired by the startup world around us. And and we, you know, saw a pain point that we both had and realized, wow, both of our husbands are terrible at buying us gifts. <laughs> we feel like other women might have the same issue. Like, let's help out these poor guys. Um, and so we uh, we created a, a website that was centered around a learning algorithm that helped uh, match uh, people with gifts for their significant others. And during that process, we realized that fine jewelry was the number one gift that men were giving women. So we created somewhat of a marketplace for fine jewelry where we um, worked with jewelers across the U.S. And uh, they sent us their, their jewelry. I did their marketing and branding and took photo photos of their jewelry. And then we put them online and uh, matched people with suggestions based on their, um, their shopping behavior and preferences. And it was it during like that a, time like that a, I... Like a dating site, <laughs> but for gifts. Right. Yes, yeah, like matchmaking for gifts. Right. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it was, I learned a lot during this process, and I think the biggest um, thing that I learned was that uh, the jewelry industry itself was operating so different than what I had perceived as a consumer. Uh, a lot of the... A lot of the um, the jewelry companies were getting their their pieces made overseas, and they were actually not even designing them themselves. They were choosing from catalogs of pre-made designs and hmm. marking them up, and the quality was, you know, lacking. And the materials, you know, you don't really know where they're coming from. And then, you know, they're selling them to us, and then we're marking them up. And so there's so many different, like, middlemen in the process and so many different inefficiencies and things that I didn't personally feel good about. And so selling a product that I didn't stand behind never felt right to me. And I just, it was always a sure. charge, like, wait, this can be done a different way. Like, we can we can change this and really bring some transparency into this industry. So it sounds like working with the jewelry industry sort of lifted a veil to some of the behind the scenes yes. that were going on and it made you uncomfortable. 
totally. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, it was really kind of like seeing the Oz behind the curtain. I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, you you kind of expect that things are being done the right way and um, that you're being offered uh, fair prices and that things are being, yeah, manufactured in, in ethical ways. And, and once you start to learn uh, the truth of what's been going on in the industry, it, it is a little concerning. Well, it reminds me a lot of Warby Parker, another direct-to-consumer brand, probably one of the most famous direct-to-consumer brands. Is, you know, I had no idea the eyewear industry was basically dominated by one company right. alone. Yeah, I think they, crazy. I'm sure I'm screwing up the quote, but something about 70% of the market they can they consume, and so you're really not – they're able to mark everything up and, and do some things that maybe aren't as awesome. So I, I think it's interesting that Warby kind of had a similar start. Now, for you, you've been working with so many amazing brands, and obviously your website is gorgeous. I'm curious if when it was your company, how that experience was. Because I know for me, I get so in the weeds, and it's like it's sometimes really hard to articulate these core values and all the things you were working with companies to do when the tables were turned. How was it for you to do it for your own company? Yeah, it was an interesting process. I Honestly, I love it. I I love the the day-to-day of building a brand. I think that's where the the realness comes from Um, is, you know, again, not just the the prettiness or the aesthetic of something, but how do you actually, like, I think my, my overall philosophy in life almost is like, how do we get to the root of things and how do we, you know, if you have a question, how do we really go back to the, the core of it and solve it from the root uh, instead of, you know, creating a facade around it. So, uh, you know, just treating every question as an opportunity to go back to the root of something and really dive into how can we create real change, uh, it's been really exciting. I think that's what uh, gives me the most fulfillment in what I do. Awesome. Yeah, so it sounds like the, 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 the parts of building a brand that you love uh, comes from, being deeply involved with a company and it feels like it it sounds like you feel like you get that more within your own business than you did helping other companies create brands yeah i think you can you can go a lot deeper and i think there's uh you know some really awesome things about helping others create their brands and you get to be involved in a lot of different projects and and collaborate with different types of companies and people and that's kind of a learning experience that has been so valuable for me, but in this phase of my life, just really diving into, you know, what my own values are and how to translate that into a company and into a product has been has been pretty awesome. Well, and it sounds like those values became clear, you know, or clearer when the veil was lifted. So what is different about Ryan Oro than maybe traditional jewelry companies? I think at the core, it's really about being honest and thoughtful in everything that we do. So, you know, while our jewelry is not revolutionary, we're not trying to create the next biggest trend in design. We're trying to really change mindsets more than uh, aesthetics and and fashion. Uh, So it's about doing all the small details right. And it's about manufacturing the right way. And it's about building the team the right way. And, you know, focusing on, you know, how does this 
piece of jewelry fit on your hand? Can you type on a keyboard? And can you sleep in your earrings? And how do we create thoughtfulness in every decision we make? And, and you can, can you tell the design. The design looks. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Can you sleep in the earrings? Has anyone tried? Oh yeah, I sleep you know, in my earrings. I mean, I <laughs> I haven't taken off my earrings in about two years, which is <laughs> maybe something I shouldn't admit to. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm telling Stacy that's my kind of jewelry. Like I I gravitate towards pieces that I can wear every day. And I tend to wear the same jewelry, every, the same basic pieces every day. Mm-hmm. I'm not the, you know, statement piece. I, sometimes I wish I were that person, but that also just feels like <laughs> a lot of work to figure out, like, what statement piece can go with my outfit right. today. Like, I have enough trouble putting together an outfit. Um, and I like simple, classic jewelry. Um so, yeah, and my daughter last night, she's taking out her earrings. And I remember when I was her age, I had a pair that I could wear and sleep in, and I didn't take them out for years. And I looked at her and said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm taking out my earrings. And so when you say, you know, jewelry you can sleep in, I feel like that's, wow. that's, that's what I want. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I'm sure yeah. a lot of companies, when they start, they struggle a lot with the marketing and the branding and getting the website all you know, polished and beautiful, but that was really your strength. So I'm curious in this journey, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced getting this up and running? Yeah, so that's that was the easy part uh for me was kind of getting the the website and then the you know, that's what I knew and it's familiar to me. So doing the photo shoots and, you know, in the very beginning I would use my hand is like the the modeled shop on our website and you know, we we're very scrappy. Uh very scrappy. So that was that was fun and it came natural to me. Uh the hardest part has really been building the team and uh understanding the business side and growing the company is something that I've had to, you know, learn and it I've it doesn't come as naturally to me. So it's something that I'm I'm still learning and, and trying to build my confidence in. And, uh, you know, as an introvert, it's been really a push for me, but I feel like I'm, you know, building these muscles that are, are really helping uh, my overall life skills. Uh, <laughs> but it's been a challenge. <laughs> absolutely. I'm an introvert by trade as well, even though most people don't realize that. And you're absolutely right. It's a muscle. And it's been interesting when I when you're motivated enough and have this you know, huge goal, you're much more willing. I am much more willing to put myself out there. I wonder if you've had that same experience versus oh, like yeah. if it's just for fun, I'm not doing it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. No, when you're working towards a, a bigger goal and you have a team that is, you know, counting on you, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I I almost I don't have children, but I understand what it feels like, I think, for a mother to kind of, like do anything for your child to succeed Mm. uh it's just you go into a different gear (laughs) absolutely sure so it sounds like building a team has been uh there's been a learning curve there but i can't help but think you know if i i have no experience in jewelry making or design what was that learning curve like going from being a graphic designer to designing jewelry yeah, I think yeah, it's an interesting question because I don't, I still don't see myself as a jewelry de- designer per se. I I do yeah. look at myself more as an overall designer. Uh, and for me, our jewelry 
speaks to that. You know, it's not focused on the jewelry uh, itself, which sounds strange. It's, it's really focused on how do we create designs that can hold meaning and communicate our values. And so for me, it's, it comes from a personal place. And as we've grown the team, it's, it's really a democratic design process. And we're mm-hmm. really designing as a team, um, you know, what, what is it that as women and, you know, our 20s and 30s and 40s, what is it that we want to be wearing and what would make us feel confident and, and what are items that would add value to our lives? Yeah. Is there, is, do you feel like any, do you feel like not having a background in jewelry, do you feel like that gives you a different perspective or? Um, I do, yeah. I yeah. think this actually helped because I, I came at it with such a fresh pair of eyes that I wasn't sure. really bogged down with any of the traditions of, oh, this is how it has to be. And I know in the early days talking to our manufacturers that, who are two blocks away from our office, which is awesome. So we have a, a great mm-hmm. partnership with them. And uh, they, you know, we'd come to them with designs and I'd be like, oh, I want this a little smaller. I want the diamond set a little lower. And they're like, oh, no, that's not how it's done in the industry. And I'm like, but why? And they're like, that's just not how it's done. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but why? And they're like, well, I guess we can do it another way. And I was like, yes, let's do it another way. <laughs> and it was interesting to just see that, even their manufacturers had uh, kind of developed this way of doing things, and that was how it's been done. So that's how it was going to be done. And I think coming at it without that um, baggage really helped develop a new type of product. Sure, yeah, I can imagine. And how's it been being a direct-to-consumer brand? I know you know when Warby Parker started, there were not as many direct-to-consumer brands, and they were able to really catch people's attention right out of the gate. But now there are uh, quite a few, and and many of them are having a hard time cutting through the noise, if you will. Um, So how has that been, really letting people know who you are and getting out there and becoming a known brand? I think a direct-to-consumer now is more of a norm. You know, a few years ago it was the exception, and it was a really – that was kind of your value statement as a brand, as your direct-to-consumer. And and now it's almost – expected uh, sure it's just a new way of, of doing business so uh, you know for us being direct consumer is you know it's part of who we are but it's it's not how we define ourselves uh, it's really about creating that connection with our customers and I think that's the biggest value that any direct to consumer company has is direct contact with their customers uh, and being able to get their feedback, listen to them, create a community, and you don't have to go through any middleman where your product just becomes a product. You know, when you're on a shelf in a department store, there's no story behind that product. Uh, Our pieces are so simple and our designs would get lost if they were put next to, you know, a hundred other jewelry designers. <laughs> what makes us sure. special is the story we can tell and how we can communicate directly with our customers. Yeah, and I find it interesting that a lot of direct-to-consumer brands are actually now going and opening brick-and-mortar stores. Is that anything mm-hmm. in your long-term vision or future? I mean, I hear you, like, going into a company with multiple brands and having your brand next to another. I could totally hear where the beauty of the simplicity would get lost. Um, but in a yeah. store of its own, sometimes it can really tell your story right. that much better. 
You can tell the story for sure. I mean, retail is shifting at such a rapid pace, so it's it's an area that I'm I'm reading up on every day and keeping up to date with. Uh, we actually had a retail store for a very short amount of time just to test it out, and we weren't ready for that experience yet. And I think if yeah. we were to do it again, it would have to be such a main focus, and we'd have to really think about how we are changing the experience instead of just opening a store to open a store. Uh, really, I think we yeah, have to have to change the fundamental experience of what we're offering besides just selling jewelry in a store. How can we create a different experience for our customers? And we have so many exciting things we want to do on the digital front first. So I just wish there was more time in the day to do everything. <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, and so when you say, um, you know, I heard you say middleman, and so it got me thinking, you know, I just feel like your model is so different than traditional fine jewelry. Um, because it's so different, because you're taking out the middleman, um, it makes me wonder, like, what are the what are the markups on traditional jewelry? <laughs> It's pretty crazy. Uh, I got, I was shocked. Uh, of course, it varies, and it's it's like things. So the markups in the fashion industry it, it totally depends, and there's so many different factors. But what shocked me was when I uh, did some calculations and found out it was close to eight to ten times uh, by the oh time gosh. you're you know the first person is is reaching the by the time it reaches the consumer essentially, uh, and that was, was totally eye opening for me to see that. Uh, but again, of course, a lot of factors come into it, and uh, everyone needs to, you know, be compensated for their part of the journey. There just happens to be a lot of different hands touching the traditional fine jewelry path. So if we can hmm. eliminate that and and sell directly, it it benefits, you know, the consumer and the the seller. <laughs> wow, eight to ten times. That that's crazy. That's- I wonder how that compares to the retail industry norm. You know, if jewelry is even a higher markup than a clothing company per se. Because I feel like clothing can be close to 70%. And I, I could be making that up, though. <laughs> so I'm just yeah, I think it's hard. Jewelry... I mean, uh, probably some of the luxury brands are higher on the scale. Um, and fine jewelry happens to be a very luxury, luxurious uh, item in itself. So I think it, it lends itself to these higher markups just by uh, that nature alone. Absolutely. Yeah. So thinking about starting the company and your and your background in uh, branding, what what if you could give us what was your top marketing strategy in the very beginning when you're launching this new company? So you had to pick well, one. <laughs> Probably tough. To yeah. <laughs> I think uh, we've always been a very social company. So Instagram has been our uh, discovery outlet since day one, and it's been something that we've embraced uh, and used not necessarily as much for marketing as we have for just connecting and uh, discovery with our customers. And I think by embracing that and really developing a community through Instagram, it's uh, translated into 
yeah, it's still one of our best discovery platforms. So I think I think that will always be uh, my go-to uh, marketing. <laughs> Me too. Sure. I love Instagram. I've had the most success on that. And I'm curious what this Instagram or IGTV um, I have not dipped my toe no. in yet, but I am curious about it and thinking. And I'm looking on LinkedIn, and it seems like so you guys have been around for almost five years. It's so exciting. And you mentioned um, your team. I'm curious how big your team is and how what that growth looked like, because I know brand staff is such this push-pull and sometimes difficult and something we as a company at growing and scaling we're, we're dealing with now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been the biggest challenge and also the most rewarding, uh, but we're a team of about 30 people now. And, really? Um, yeah. That's uh, quite a large our... team. I'm impressed. What did that growth look like? Yeah. What, you know, you went from one to <laughs> – how did you get from to one 30? to two? to three, to six, to, uh, yeah, the past few months, it's been growing pretty quickly. And we've we've been able to keep our fulfillment in-house, which has been amazing, Uh, our customer experience in-house, and we're now building out our own development, in-house development team. So all those areas require a good amount of uh, team members to be involved. But uh, I think it really does pay off to keep those things as internal as we can uh, to really have that close connection with our customers. Uh, but, yeah, it does create a lot of quick growth that comes with a lot of challenges within itself. Yeah. Sure. And having 30 people to manage now, it seems uh, – so you're founder, creative director. So do you focus more of your time on the behind-the-scenes, the creative side, and then have somebody who's really managing those 30 people, I assume? We just brought on a VP of operations, which has been a lifesaver for me. Uh, so before that, it was, um, you know, really spreading myself thin across all different departments. But now I can focus a lot more on the digital experience, our marketing, and our creative teams. And that's what I, I love to do. I do want to have a full picture of what everything how everything ties in and how, you know, everyone across the company is feeling and how they're doing. But I think uh, having our VP of operations has been so helpful to uh, segment those areas and give me the trust and freedom to uh, dive into what I love. Yeah, but that's have to be, I wonder how that transition was as a founder myself. Like you mentioned, I don't have children, but it's this company absolutely feels like my baby, right? And so yeah. I sometimes struggle a little bit, a lot of it, with being a little bit of a control freak and having a hard time letting go <laughs> and trusting others. Um, yeah. Is that just I'm me? I'm learning that. that too? <laughs> <laughs> Am I the only weirdo totally. in the room? Yeah, how, is I... how is that going for you? Uh, it's going. Um, I'm still <laughs> learning on on how to how to best approach that. Um, yeah, it's it's you have to give up some. I think because our you know we've grown so much and we have a few years under our belts, and uh, I've seen team members really rise up to the occasion. And it's just it takes time to build trust. So it's not something that happens overnight, and um, it's just getting to that point where you you build that trust with your team members, and they build that trust with you, and then soon, once it happens, it kind of clicks, and then you're like, all right, you got this. You can run with it. Check in with me, but I don't need to oversee everything anymore. 
but it does take time. Well, you give me hope. Till it's a <laughs> year for me, so you give me hope. <laughs> yeah, well, this is so interesting to hear how your company just, you know, really does things different um, than, you know, traditional um, traditional fine, fine jewelry. I mean, it just, it, and how not having a background in it, you feel like has, has really been one of your strengths, which I can I, I can totally see in your designs. Um, it just looks it looks different to me, and I like it. So thank you um, so much for joining us today and letting us get to the heart of you and your endeavors. Where can people find your jewelry? Well, we are online only right now, so it's just directly through our website. Uh, which is com, and Vray means truth in French and Oro means gold in Spanish. So that's where our name comes from. Uh, and then, of course, through Instagram. Uh, it's our best kind of discovery platform. Uh, but, yeah, I'm so excited to be here with you guys, and I really appreciate you talking with me as well. Yeah, I have been saying Bray and Oral wrong the whole time. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's half and half. <laughs> some people say Bray, some people say Bray. I I like both ways. So even oh, okay. in our, our okay. own company, half of the people say Bray. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. I love it. Okay, <laughs> truth, truth and gold. I love that. That's I, yeah. awesome. Okay, uh, so perfect. We'll put links to your site in our show notes. And I want to thank all of you who are listening today. If you liked it, loved it, were entertained by it, please consider taking a minute and clicking a five-star rating for Women on the Ride podcast on iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode. <laughs> and if you want to learn more about Rice Collaborative Workspace, check us out. I'm going to go with Instagram. I like that you brought up Instagram today. I feel like Instagram is a great place to kind of follow along on our journey as we expand to Denver and what we're doing in St. Louis. Or you can go to our website, riceworkspace.com. Okay. And to register for my next free training for busy couples so you can feel less like roommates, head to www.micaross.com. And don't go anywhere, Vanessa, because I thought of one more question, thinking about going to your website and ordering jewelry. I don't know that I've ever ordered jewelry online. What <laughs> if I don't like it? Or what if it doesn't fit? Or what happens? Uh, well, we have a free 30-day return policy, so we want to make it as easy as possible. You can just enter your information, your order number online, and you'll get a, a prepaid return label uh, directly in your email and can send it back and we'll refund you or change the size or uh, whatever you want. Awesome. Okay. That sounds so easy. I can do that. Perfect. <laughs> so listeners, <laughs> we hope we have inspired you a little more today. Talk soon. <laughs>